0: so hello good morning good afternoon good evening welcome to this edition of soccer hub talks my name is ricardo balbeira i'm the ceo and founder of soccer hub as already many of you already know soccer hub is an online education platform for soccer analysts soccer scouts soccer coaches and now also for soccer businessmen we are producing also courses now for the business side of soccer. So um, uh, before we start, I would like you to please click on the like button if everything is okay with the audio and the video. And also please introduce some information about yourselves on the chat box, sh- such as the country that you are based in and also some information about yourselves, your job and your uh, connection to, to soccer. So today uh, for us is a huge pleasure to have such a legend in uh, international soccer. We are here with Alexi Lalas, former international soccer player and currently a soccer analyst, a soccer caller analyst. Um, The subject is about USA, the next superpower of world soccer. Uh, So it's like a question, is it the next superpower of world soccer? Um, So I would like to thank very much, uh, Alexi, for being here with us and uh, to tell you that our panel is uh, moderated by Nuno Mulheiro. See you in a few seconds. Hello, guys. Hello, Nuno. Hello, Alexi. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation. It's a huge pleasure to have you here with us. Nuno, I'm going to leave you guys talking, Okay, See you in a bit. Bye. Thank you very much, Ricardo. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Soccer
1: Hub Talks, as you can see now. And like Ricardo said, we have a very special guest, uh, one of the most iconic players of all time and the legend of U.S. soccer so alexi 20 years waiting for you it took a long
2: time but it's it's finally is happening this is so, happening. I, I can't believe it. I'm tingling. I'm I'm excited all over. Thank you so much to you and the Soccer Hub for having me on today. I, I, I can't believe it's taken 20 years, but this is what happens in 20 years. This is how the human changes in 20 years.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. So thank you very much. It's, it's, a, it's a real pleasure. And uh, especially in a way that you accepted straight away. It was very kind from you. So um, let's usually, like Ricardo said, we are here to talk um about uh well one million dollar question we are gonna leave it t- to the end okay so we are gonna do a bit of ret- ret- retrospective of your career uh, as a player and um and also so Alex you played a total of 96 matches for your country okay scoring nine goals almost 10 percent of the games you've been scoring not bad for a center central defender um you represented U.S. in two World Cup editions in '94, um, that for me was was the best World Cup that I had the chance to assist. And and you've been playing, and with that fantastic team that you guys had, and uh, also '98 in France. Uh, you've also been present in and participating, of course, in three Gold Cup editions for the U.S. and two Copa America and two Olympic Game editions. If if something is wrong, please interrupt me and please correct Perfect. me. Okay. Okay, and then usually, as I'm a a soccer scout, usually I do like a a small surprise, like a a scouting profile of the (laughs) the guests as a player. So, Alexi was mainly a center defender, a central defender, uh, always with fair play, elegant on his actions, low profile, very intelligent player, very assertive on tackling, also a player with class and not using only your physical strengths as a main skill. So preferring to use your tactical knowledge
3: and anticipation. Do you agree with it, first of all, or not really? Bless you, first off. That's uh, the first time in, I, I'm pretty sure,
2: any interview that I've ever done that I have ever been called elegant. So I, I love that. <laughs> I, I I love that. No, I, I I, appreciate what you're saying. Um, And, you know, look... The size of a player obviously matters and the stature and the power and strength and in the air, all that kind of all that kind of stuff. But I, I learned when I was really early on in my career that it wasn't just good enough to get to the ball. Um, you had to, if you could, the best defenders were able to get to the ball and maintain possession after they got to the ball. So directional heading or if you had to tackle, the ability to tackle and win the ball. Uh, and certainly when you step up to win the ball making sure that that next past is with possession as opposed to just being that destroyer all the time without actually creating. You can destroy and create yeah. in the same movement. Completely true. So
1: that's the image I have from you, you know, from uh, when I when I was young, when I was w- watching you playing, because many people had the image that you were like, a, like, um, you know, like a player only using your physical part. Not at all, not at all. Like you said, uh, of course you are, you are a big guy, tall guy but uh but you you have those skills so and uh, that's the image that i had so this is the the profile as a scout so it's good that you that you agree uh, you. <laughs> it's also interesting to to mention one aspect that um uh, alex you you played and um, and you represented a, a club in italy mm-hmm. it was padova at the time after the world cup in 94 and that you became one of the first um, American players to play in Italy, and at the time the Italian uh, Serie A was the, you know, was the place to, where to be. You yeah. know, was the was the um, the biggest league in, in the world. Uh, in these days, is is coming up again, but uh, but at the time it was where all the stars, where all the players were, uh, no matter which team. All the teams have amazing players. So at the time so um thanks again for 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 being here like i said and um so let's start uh let's start with the present moment alexi um so can you tell us a bit more about your projects and uh, also if you keep still linked to fo- to soccer mm-hmm. i can see also in your background that you keep uh doing your other passion that is yeah it's music <laughs> you've always yeah. been linked also to music but uh, but are you still linked? The, with football and uh, with soccer, and uh, what what else are you doing at the moment? If you can share with us,
2: yeah. So in the in the beginning of the I guess the beginning of the century back in uh, yeah. when the when the century changed, uh, I finished up my playing career around age thirty three, and then I went right into front offices uh, for a number of different teams, and so I learned the business of soccer, which was a, a wonderful experience. I was very young, I was very inexperienced. I made plenty of mistakes, but I also learned a tremendous amount about a sport that that you think you know, but there's yeah. so much more to the business side of it, and getting an appreciation and an understanding and a crash course into the business of the soccer was incredibly beneficial to me, and then in uh, around about 2008, I got fired from the last job that I was at, and I went into television, and I haven't looked back since, and so I've been working for Fox Sports for uh, the last five years. I worked for ESPN for about five years, so I've been doing this for more than a decade now. It's I love it. I love television. I love broadcasting. I, I continue to work. And and try to get better at it, and uh, you know I think every sport needs it, and certainly the sport in the United States, which is still growing, uh, yeah. needs needs this type of dialogue and debate and discussion that all cultures and and well most cultures and countries around the world have, but we because we're not necessarily a primarily soccer culture, we don't have yeah. enough of it. So it's been fun to be able to do that, and that's what I do. I live here in Los Angeles uh, with my family, uh, and I'm still heavily involved in the sport. And we were talking off air about. You know, many of the players that I played with back in my generation. And what's really gratifying to me is that if you look, I mean, almost every single one of us in one capacity or another is involved in the game, either coaching yeah. or front office or, or uh, broadcast or, uh, you know, and different levels of coaching, professional coaching, youth coaching, uh, administration, all that kind of stuff. They are all still involved in the game. And that's, that's, that's I think that says a lot about that generation and also says a lot about, you know the the um the commitment and the respect and the pride that we have for the future of the game,
1: yeah, that's very that's very important. And thank you for sharing it. and two things. First, I think, I believe you can give me some tips afterwards because you know, you are in television, so you are more used to all things or, or, you know, or to be commenting. That you will look be great. great.
2: No, you look great. <laughs> you look great. Uh, you got a good background. You know, the asymmetrical, very, very fashion and artsy and creative. I like that. It looks like, uh, you know, a, a, a uniform, a kit and everything like that. Okay. So you're doing a good job Thank so you. far. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, by curiosity, like I was telling you off the air, Uh, So you said that pretty much of your generation are still linked to football. What about Tony Mayola? I tell you because, you know, he was a goalkeeper. He was a fantastic goalkeeper. And does he still keep linked to football or... Yeah,
2: yeah. I actually, I've worked with him uh, at different times over the years uh doing World Cups. He's in broadcast. I, I was in my car yesterday driving okay. down the, uh, the the freeway here in Los Angeles listening to him because he does he does a radio show on okay. uh, on Sirius XM. I'll give him a plug. So yeah, you know he does that. I was just on a call yesterday for. You know, a, a company that was doing some some retro uniforms and stuff with myself uh, and Kobe Jones and Eric Rinalda and John Harkes, uh, you know, uh, someone like Ernie Stewart uh, is actually the head of the Federation. So, you know, okay. he's working in that capacity. Somebody like. Claudio Reyna is the head of Austin FC, which is a new yeah. MLS team. So everybody's scattered all, uh, all in different places, but we still keep in contact and we have the text chains and all that kind of stuff. So we still, we still talk about the game. And you go through an experience like a World Cup together, it, it changes yeah. you. I mean, listen, the reason why I'm on your show today is because of the 94 World Cup. It, it changed my life forever. I lived the power of what a World Cup can do to an individual. It was wonderful, and I don't regret it. And Overnight my life changed and um i I moved on and had incredible opportunities and doors were open and that's why that's why it was such an important summer for me but also for the sport and why it will be an important summer you know a few years from now when we get to host it again uh the men's world cup in 2026.
1: yeah that's fantastic that's true thank you thank you also for sharing and uh and hopefully let's see if we can have one day tony mill also here and uh about sure, I'll, the, I'll,
2: I'll call him i'll give you his information you can you know he loves to talk
1: perfect, perfect. <laughs> and uh i never thought about it this is fantastic you know like uh and i never thought it was possible uh, to be talking to you guys but uh, but it, it's it's an honor about the retro kits that you were saying uh i remember that you had a fantastic kit in 94 that kit was fantastic so yeah, I'll try to also to get one because the denim, was- the denim. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell yeah. you. So
2: for for those that maybe you're too young and don't remember, but back in yeah. 1994 when we hosted the men's World Cup, you know, it was it was the United States, it was yeah. the 90s, it was a lot of things, yeah. and that yeah. was reflective in what we wore, and we actually wore um, faux denim uh and it it was at the time people were like wow that is something that we have never seen and i'll be honest with you there there were a lot of people that said wow that's not something we never want to see again (laughs) but (laughs) nowadays when people talk about it i mean it it resonated. It it yeah. made a mark. I mean, so many, so many uniforms, they come and they go and people don't, you know, you forget about them. But this was something that, like you said, it's iconic. Um, people still ask me about it today. People yeah. still try to get them now. It's, you know, they're selling out there on the market. And uh, yeah. it's an amazing, it's an amazing thing, the association now that people have with 1994 and that summer with that actual jersey that we wore
1: yeah that's true that's true and uh, i think also like you mentioned and then that this is true it changed your life and uh, in general change of course uh, soccer in the us but all over the world and maybe of course you've been traveling a lot but uh but you don't have an idea how how people still remembers you and remember pretty much all the players because it was like something that uh, the us were coming as uh, the for the first time and uh, i'll say that only brazil maybe can because they, they they won you know yep. uh you can remember pretty much all those players or mario and of course you can remember like Bulgaria with you can remember other like roberto baggio in italy but in general terms, you remember about the U.S. because oh, not only because he been organizing, but also because of the kids, of the players, and also Brazil because they won. So sure. that's that's completely fantastic.
2: But I, well, I'll give you I'll give you a really quick story to to give you some context. Okay, okay so a okay. uh, couple of weeks before the World Cup started in 1994, I got on an airplane. I sat in in economy in my middle seat because that's how we traveled back then. And I sat down next to an older woman and we struck up a conversation. And she asked me, she said, what do you do? I said, I play soccer. And she said, "Um, you know, what's your uh, what's your job? I said, well, (laughs) my job is to play soccer. And she said, what do you do for money? I said, I play soccer for money. And a couple of weeks later, I stepped on the field in front of a billion people to play yeah. in the World Cup. And that's just to give you an idea of, you know, the the environment, the atmosphere, uh, and the climate and the reality of what the American soccer landscape yeah. was and it opened up so many eyes I, I still meet people today that come up and say 1994 changed my life because it's when I first fell in love with the game and we exposed yeah. the game in our own country to so many people that didn't know what the sport was and didn't know all the colors and the screaming and the yelling and the cheering and the passion and the and the drinking and the and the fans and all that and, yeah. and you know the the festival and the dance and the celebration that is the game and obviously is on display in the world cup with all those cultures That was something that was amazing to see my country embrace it and in doing so completely, completely change and um, to, to be to personally experience that. And look, the team played well. Uh, you know, every time I kicked the ball, it seemed it went in the right direction. That was a good thing. Um, yeah. the, the way that we looked, the the characters that we were, the personalities that we were, the performance, the costumes, yeah. you know, the, yeah. w- the hair, all of that kind of stuff. It all played into making an impact. And uh, as I said before, I, I knew what I was doing. Um, it was it was it's a bad word, but it was calculated. I knew that the eyes of the world were going to be on us. And i w I've always considered myself a performer. I've always considered what I do. Um, entertainment. I put on a costume. Well, first off I rehearse, I put on a costume, I go on stage and I perform for the audience. Right. And so it it doesn't matter whether I'm kicking a ball or whether I'm singing a song or anything like that. So I, I always considered myself, uh, part of the entertainment industry, what what we were doing. and, the way you say th- something is as important as what you say. What you look like is important. All of those different things combined, hopefully, put together, give a positive type of impact and image, and you know, create a reaction. Yeah, that's true. That's fantastic. That you.
1: Thank you for sharing that story. That is brilliant. And um, and like you said, in the end of the day, it's about entertainment. You know, and uh, and that that's Probably the the biggest example, and uh, later on I'm gonna I'm gonna touch that point also, uh, because I've been preparing also that part. Not that I prepare too much, because this is more to be a conversation, you know, sure. like a, a free conversation. So now going back a bit to to the um, to, to to back in time, let's go back. So how it started, uh, how it came, how soccer came across to your life, and
2: and why soccer. Mm-hmm. So I grew up in uh, Detroit, Michigan. I grew up in the suburbs of Detroit. I grew up in the 70s and 80s. My father's Greek, um, so I went back and forth between Detroit and Athens, Greece. Um, When I was in Athens when I was very young, and my mom would kick me out of the house, and I would go down to the corner. Where the you know the the sand lot was, and the local Greek boys would come together and they would play soccer, and I would stand on the side because I couldn't speak Greek. I was the American kid. I had red hair, and you know I would wait and I waited and waited, and then one day one of the kids didn't show up that played goalkeeper. So all right, what are we going to do? Put the American in the goal. So I go in the goal, and then a few weeks later. I start to learn some more words and somebody doesn't show up that plays on the field. What are we going to do? Uh, well, put the American on the field and let him play. And so that was my initial uh, experience with soccer. But, you know, I, I spent most of my youth in Detroit growing up in the suburbs, like I said, and I grew up doing everything that a lot of the, the young kids do today. I had mom and dad coaching. I had orange peels and juice boxes at halftime and all of this uh, and travel teams and all the things that many American kids still do today. And that was my, that was my upbringing. And I, I gravitated to soccer, but I was growing up in the North and in Michigan, the law is you have to play hockey. And so I actually played sometimes uh, more hockey than soccer growing up. And so it was, I didn't look at soccer as an opportunity to play in a World Cup or to be professional or, or to become famous yeah. or anything like that. It was just something that I liked to do. My My father was a professor and my mom was a writer, and so they had no connection to sports. Okay. Uh, it, but they supported me, but they recognized that it kept me out of trouble and it was something that I was good at and that I liked to do. And as long as I did my, uh, my schoolwork, they yeah. were happy with what I was doing and they supported it.
1: Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Yeah, I was gonna ask you because you have roots, you know, Greek roots. Your father was Greek, so if if that had any influence on your choice, uh, but you already you already answered to it. So, um, in terms of um, back back on those days, also, um, can you share with us how different was the process to to of calling players for the national team mm-hmm. uh, when most of the players were not playing on such a high level like today or um, there was no professional league in the US. Uh, There were not many players playing abroad. So how it was the process to choose the players for the national team?
2: Well, so I came through a much more traditional pathway which involved college. Uh, That has changed a lot now, but that back then was the way that you kind of stepped up to that next level. Uh, The collegiate game was the next highest level for a young player. And yes, we had youth national teams and that was, so in college, you know, for example, when I was in college, I was one day playing against Brad Friedel, who played for UCLA. The next day or the next week, I was playing against uh, Tony Miola, uh, who played for Virginia. And so all the best players in the country were, were in the college game. And so that's the pathway that we took. And then the best players eventually were called in uh, for the national team. What I did um, is I, I was able to play in the 92 Olympics in Barcelona. Yeah. And. You know, it was it was really important because that that team, that group graduated to a couple of years later playing in the 94 World Cup. So if you look at that 1992 Olympic team in Barcelona, yeah. myself, Kobe Jones, uh, Brad Friedel, um, you know, uh, Mike Lapper, uh, the list goes on and on and yeah. on of players. Joe Max Moore, players that then also featured in the 94 World uh,
3: World Cup yeah. team. So and beyond, by the way, they, they make many, many more World Cups. Was, so. Tab Ramos, Tab Ramos, the, also there? Or no. Who? Tab Tab Ramos, no. Tab was older than us. Tab was oh, older okay. than us.
2: I, I'll tell you, uh, Tab Ramos. Tell me, don't get me started on Tab Ramos. He's <laughs> he's the best player that I have ever played with, and I I feel I felt bad for Tab because he was so much better than all of us. He was okay. he he was it was like charity when he was playing with us, <laughs> and he was he was thinking and playing on such a different level. La- I wish Tab Ramos was born 25 years later uh, yeah. because I, I would say I mean people don't realize how good he
3: was uh, as a player he uh, yeah. and he was too good for us at times <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you thank you for answering that so um, after
1: um, so you played like like we said before you played in Italy yeah, yeah? so after that World Cup. Uh, How was that experience? And uh, in terms of adaptation, for example, to the country, different country and the different kind, uh, different type of soccer? uh, And what were the main difficulties that you faced at the time?
2: So, you know, I mentioned that, uh, you know, I went from the Olympic team in 92 to the World Cup in 94, and that 1994, as I said, opened up all of these doors. And so after the yeah. 94, look, you play well in the World Cup, you're going to get opportunities. So after yeah. the World Cup, I had uh, offers to go to the EPL, to the Bundesliga and Serie A. And some, you know, right. maybe some of your young uh, viewers don't remember what Serie A was in the 80s uh, and some of the 90s uh, and 70s, 80s, and 90s, and it was before the bosman ruling it was before the european community opened up and it was all the best players it was every single team had the stars of the world and by the way you could only have 3 players outside yeah. of italians there if you if you if you see that ac milan team for example they had an all-star team that couldn't even make the actual starting uh, eleven uh, or starting eighteen in the on the day, and so they would be up in the Tribune watching the game. These incredible That's stars true. up there. So for for me, there was only one place that I was going after the '94 World Cup. Of course, I'm going to to Serie A. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, the the opportunity to play in '94 when when myself and people like Kobe Jones stepped on the field in 1994 we had never been on the books at a club situation. We did it backwards. All of our experience was international. So when I got to Padova in Syria in the fall of 1994, it was my first time ever playing for a club and living in the community and representing that that city. And so it was a big transition for me, just that. And then a whole new culture and being in the fishbowl that is Syria. I mean, there's two things that happen on Sunday, right? Yeah. Culture and uh, and and religion and uh, and going to church, right? And there's yeah, a reason yeah, yeah. for that because it is it's in it's in the blood. And for a kid from from Michigan, this was a whole other world, and it was a, and it was an adjustment. The language, the culture, the style of play. Um, but I I learned so much, and I grew not just as a soccer player, but I grew as a person because of that experience.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and like you said, because you you were never. Uh, before you never been involved in a club in such a such a high level but um but you actually played many many games there you know you were not just there and not playing and uh and it was quite hard like you said at, at the time with uh without the uh, the rule that uh only only three foreigner players could play for
3: for each squad and uh, and said yeah, had so many amazing players and, and, so. and for a center back so uh, uh, so you, you you one Sunday you're going against
2: Balbo Fonseca, the next Sunday you're going yeah. against you know Savicevic and, and, and Goulet, uh Viali and Ralvanelli, and, and it goes yeah. on Aspria, you know, uh, you know, those types of play, um, Gascoigne, uh, you know, Beppe Signori. I mean every yeah, yeah, single yeah. team had these incredible attacking players. And I got beaten and I I, I you know <laughs> my it was a very small team that had just come into Serie A. So the only goal for that year was to stay up. And we did on the last day we had a game um, and you know so I lived that craziness that is promotion and relegation and you know to this day I I actually took my family back for the first time in many many years a couple of summers ago to Padova and the people there were wonderful and and the fact that they even remembered me and it was it was so nice to see it because you know it was only for a couple of years and then I returned to the United States to, to start Major League Soccer but it was a huge huge influence on my life yeah for sure and uh, and and must be
1: fantastic for you you know after all these years people remembering you and uh, especially there you know it will be forever in you know in your heart uh, the place so we have here a question from from bernardo um so bernardo gonzalez alexi what do you think of uh, mls growth since 1993 i'm a big fan of mls despite uh, being european because you are all entertainers Mm-hmm. having a tons of respect for north american model however for mls being the next superpower of world soccer i think the cap salary is not helping
3: major league soccer to take the next step what are your thoughts thank you okay so a couple of things um bernardo thank you very thank you well. bernardo yes thank you bernardo uh
2: so a couple of things one you know i mentioned the um you know the uh, the opening of the european community and the bosman ruling and all that kind of stuff when we saw the migration that happened To England. With all due respect to England, okay, it wasn't because of the weather or it wasn't because of the food, let's be honest, okay? (laughs) But it's also a wonderful case study in how you can kill the golden goose if you're Syria, right? And a lot of it was self-inflicted with, you know, so the problems that they had with on and off the field. Um, But it's also a, a warning that things can change very fast. And the EPL did a wonderful job of branding itself and obviously bringing in some very, very deep pocketed ownership. With MLS, you know, it's going into its 26th year. And, you know, I was one of the proudest moments of my life was going back and being a part of it from the beginning in 1996. But I'll be lying to you if I told you that I thought it was going to last. We had some optimism, cautiously optimistic. But, you know, this was a labor of love. This was and is. It's la cosa nostra. It is our thing, okay? And it's, yeah. it's not perfect and everything. But the structure of that league with the salary cap and with the restrictions and the single entity is what has made it survive and in many cases thrive. Now, going forward, it's going to change and it already has changed. And to your point, uh, you know, being able to spend more money is the quickest way to try to compete. It's not a surefire way because you look at China yeah. and you look at other places. Just because you spend a lot of money doesn't mean that people will go there. Now, another migration can happen, especially to a place like North America that we all know many people want to go for themselves, for their families. If you can pay as much and maybe even more at times, if you can provide the lifestyle that many, many players want, if you can maybe even more importantly make sure that their credibility isn't hurt. And so it's relevant, especially when it comes to their, the national team part of their career. If you if you can add all of those things, now you got something different. And it, it it happened to England, it can happen again. It's much more difficult because it's obviously across the water to uh, the United yeah. States, which isn't a, a soccer uh, a soccer culture. But I, I believe that something like that can happen. And I do believe going forward that teams that want to spend more money are going to be given the opportunity to do so. But parity... And making sure that there is competitive balance is one of the things that attracts a lot of people to the league. And one of the things, by the way, that makes it unique relative to most other leagues in the world, the haves and the have nots, that doesn't really exist. The, the league starts next week. Major League starts, uh, Soccer yeah. starts next week. And every fan of whatever team they, they are a fan for, they have at
3: least a belief that they could win. You can go from worst to first. Yeah. And we know that in most leagues around the world, that is not the case not the case not at all and you touch the point and that's
1: very important for example let's say in germany we know that bayern munich is much stronger in france we know psg is much stronger and uh, and what people want and uh, we had a chance i already had a chance to interview some people that uh, or they, they they were like former players from the us or players that played also in there and um and they all say the same thing that you guys organize the things to be in a fair way, to be competitive, also for people to enjoy and uh, for entertainment, that's very important. And you mentioned that China. I think this is my opinion for what I follow, of course. I think the US, you did a great job because um, in terms of youth football, so you develop also your youth Mm -hmm. football together with bringing some players, not a lot of players, like big names, but you balance that very well. So also at the same time that you bring those big stars, they also have a competitive league. They are not just there to, to be on holiday. They are there actually to compete. They can see they have quality players over there and you also have good players for the national team. The problem is with China and other countries, it's just in a small you know, in time frame. So they try to do everything in, let's say, in five years' time To bring all those players to pay them a lot of money but they don't develop the chinese players from the youth teams so um, and that that doesn't work so this we are talking you know 94 was already 20 27 years ago so this is a process that is taking taking long and uh, it will still take like you said it will take a bit longer you know but uh, but you are doing the things in the proper way of course with some mistakes learning with those mistakes sure. but uh, but we are gonna talk a bit a bit more deeply about that part also but but thanks for for the question and uh, yeah um, so Bernardo thanks for your question It was very interesting um, so after after two years so when you left when you've been two years in Italy playing in Italy mm-hmm. you returned to um, to to the US so you returned home. So um, the soccer at the time when when you returned, was was a bit more popular was more serious of course improved in most of the aspects of the game a lot from the contribution that you and your you know your teammates in the national team also gave the fact also that you organized that 94 the uh, world cup that also helped a lot so um, what in your opinion when you returned what were the the, the main differences the, the most significant differences that you you found from the time then uh, when you left.
2: So a couple of things, um, and 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 not just in nineteen look. Nineteen ninety six was the moment we we put down the flag and said we're starting. But you're starting yeah. from you're starting you're starting a league from scratch. Yes, nineteen ninety four. Yeah. Without nineteen ninety four, the the MLS doesn't happen. Okay, so yeah. that was important. Okay, <laughs> but it's very very different a league versus a summer of soccer. Right. Yeah. So you're starting something from new. And so you have no history, you have no, you have no culture. I'm not saying that there aren't, there, there isn't soccer history and culture, but relative to these teams, they're brand new teams. And so there's a, you know, there's a, uh, there's a process that everybody goes through. Now, what's been interesting for me to see happen over these 25 years is not just the growth of the league, but the growth of the culture. For example, you know, the, the supporters culture, yeah. It, it, for a long time, it was very small. It was very niche. It was very underground. Right? No longer. Right? It is above ground. It is vibrant. It is discerning. I would say it's one of the most. It, one, it's one of the most intelligent uh, supporters cultures because you have to be because you're constantly comparing and contrasting with the rest of the world. So that for me has been wonderful. And every different supporters group and and culture mirrors in a unique way their market and their city and it's so fun to see how they take the game of soccer and they use that for the lens that they look at the world in and that's it's wonderful to see that and they do it very very different you know the supporters up in seattle are very different than the supporters down in orlando and it's great to see the you know the diversity that we have when it comes but, but it's all soccer supporters the other thing is the infrastructure, okay? The amount of soccer specific stadiums that we have, places that you can call your home and your own, that is huge. And not yeah. just the actual stadiums, but also the training facilities that we have. The deep pocketed ownership, obviously, the expansion. I mean, when I first started in 96, what we had relative to what we have right now going into the 30, 30 plus teams going forward, it's yeah. amazing the expansion and how smart businessmen and women that are very very uh rich and, and as i said very very smart they are targeting soccer both men's and women's by the way yeah to be to be part of their portfolio and that that is a smart business decision it's not charity it's not just out of the goodness of their heart yes yeah. yes they have an affinity and they want to do it but you know they they are responsible for the money that they are putting in and they see that this is a good long-term investment for a number of different reasons so all of those different things make me very, very bullish and excited and, you know, confident about the way that we are going. Lots of work to do. Lots of work to yeah. do. And, and and we still make plenty of mistakes like we talked about. But if I if this was a stock, I would be buying this stock because I think it's only going to get uh, much more valuable.
1: Yeah, for sure. That, that's a very good advice. And, uh, you know. If it was a stock it was a good advice to buy it because yeah. i also believe that uh, that will be the way and uh, that you are doing the same thing, the things in the in the in the good way and balancing uh, in terms of entertainment uh, to keep the supporters happy and also the business side it's it's a good balance and uh, and sometimes in europe we we see only the business side but that's something that we can also talk a bit a bit more about it and uh, we have here another question from richard Richard, Alexi, uh, who do you think will be the next breakthrough uh,
3: players to come to Europe from the MLS? Yeah. This is a bit hot yeah.
2: No, no. This is, but this is this is the other part. Now,
3: yeah, yeah, you you yeah. talked about the incoming players and how important
2: that is for major league soccer. What is yeah, also exactly. as important, and and you know, relative to China, it's it's okay to bring players in, but you also have to participate in the in the global market, and so you have to have players going out. And right now, yeah. everybody. That's the question that I get every single day. Why is this happening? Why do yeah. we have your you know Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams and Gio Reyna, and you know the list Pulisic. goes on and on. Yeah. Sergino Pulisic, Serginia, all these different players that are playing and not just playing but playing at the best leagues in the world and some for the best clubs in the world why is this why is this happening first off i think we spent a lot of money and time years ago saying we have to get into the development game and we we have done it at times well at times not well but i think you're seeing the the fruits of these seeds that were planted a, a long time ago and the ironic thing is that it happens after the worst possible moment for the united states not qualifying for the 2018 men's men's world cup but we still have all of this talent you know to, to your to your point and your question you know for example you know we saw brendan Aronson go go over uh, he's the latest one to go uh, to go over from the philadelphia union he's yeah. got a he's got a younger brother that i think is going to be really interesting going forward to keep an eye on going forward but the fact is that i look at some of these players and yes they are good players but i think to myself there's a lot of these types of players. So if if Europe really wanted to go and mine and pick out the the, the players out there, there's yeah. a lot of options out there. But MLS understands that too, and so now the business part comes in because you don't want to just give away these players. Yeah. Yes, you want yes you want the message internally. You want the message that that this is a pathway to you know stardom and big and big teams. But you also want the message to the world that says, hey, we are open for the business. And if you are smart, you can find quality players uh, for the right money. And we know you know, the mining that goes on down in South America, right? Well, maybe they say, yeah, but I can get a better player and sometimes even for less money. But MLS is going to have to be smart going forward and not just give away the players. So it's a, it's a wonderful yeah. time from a business perspective of what's going on and the talent that we have. And then obviously that talent at some point getting back together uh, with the national team and we start qualifying this fall and hopefully bringing us back to the promised land of a world cup.
1: Yeah, for sure and uh, and thank you for sharing also that knowledge and that uh, wide view that you have because you have also been a general manager gm for for clubs such as um San Jose Earthquakes, you know, New York Cosmos that now is New York Red Bull and also LA Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. So even at the time when David Beckham joined
3: um, oh, that's, a whole, that's a whole nother story, <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I know. What a crazy I know. story that is. <laughs> okay, I believe you've been involved, of course, as a GM, yeah, on mm-hmm. bringing David Beckham. So, do you think that signing a player like David Beckham, um, and afterwards other top players and coaches, also like uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, also a great coach that I believe he still lives there over there, mm-hmm. and um, helped also to develop football in the US? And uh, and uh, soccer to, to become what is today or or but in a balanced way not yeah. like like we spoke before you know and um, yeah
2: it has to be the right player and look yeah. th- there is, there is only one David Beckham and so any team in the world if they had the opportunity to sign David Beckham you sign David Beckham okay That's now that doesn't apply to every player okay just because a player is is famous just because a player. Yeah has played at a high level doesn't mean that that's the right signing for a team in Major League Soccer. But we knew that in that moment, back in 2007, we wanted to do something that was going to forever change not just Major League Soccer, but soccer in the United States and the perception. You know, this is, this is about being relevant, okay? Yeah. Every single day, we talked about how do we become more relevant in market, yeah. whether it's here in Los Angeles or any other market, but also relevant to our country and relative to the world, relative, relevant to the world. Yeah. You, you need a, a messenger, right? It's David Beckham. I, I, I said, we need to be the super club, the team that people think about first when they think about Major League Soccer. Well, we need somebody to attach ourselves to that can do yeah. that. Look, he's, a, he's an icon. All right. He's one of the yeah. most famous people, not just soccer people, one of the most yeah. famous people in the world. And so it changed everything. And we paid a lot of money for it, obviously. <laughs> but it was, it was worth the money. Now, we yeah. also, we also uh, invited in a hurricane. Because we had never been through a situation like like that, and David Beckham is not just David Beckham the person; he is David Beckham the machine. Yeah. And for any club, if the player is more important than the machine than the than the club, then you have a problem. And we went through some incredible challenges to deal with David Beckham and his his machine and his brand that. His people and his machine are trying to make sure is protected at all times, and sometimes it always it doesn't always work with what's going on yeah. with the with the Los Angeles Galaxy brand. And ultimately, uh, we made mistakes. Uh, we did some really really good business. I my my responsibility as the president of the of the Los Angeles Galaxy was to put a good product on the field and to monetize that product off the field. Yeah. The yeah. irony is that with my playing background. I actually was really good at the monetization part of it and the business side of it, but I didn't have a good product on the field. And ultimately, you know, I got fired and others got fired um, because, you know, we didn't do what we, what our jobs were to do. And that's, that's fine. And like I said, I learned a tremendous amount and eventually they got it right. And they got that balance. You mentioned balance. The balance is so important Uh, and it's not easy because the galaxy went through it for the first time, but they were also able in the future to deal with when Zlatan comes or other players come, yeah. you know, it's 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 part of the growth process, and we kind of had to go through that difficult period to get to the other side.
1: Yeah, that's true. In my opinion, there there is you know like um, there is we can say there is a, a soccer before David Beckham in the U.S. Yep. and after, there is there is and after David Beckham, and also because David Beckham is a kind of player. That, of course, is that machine that we know in terms of sponsorships, everything. But he's also a player that is committed and he's going inside the pitch and he's going to actually perform and he's going to play and people are going to enjoy. They don't have the feeling that he's only there for the marketing. He was actually feeling the the shirt, the, the shirt that he was wearing, you know, like um, you were associating him with also with the quality inside the pitch and people were, even the young he was an example for the younger, the younger generations, the American mm-hmm. generations. The player, the, the young players, wanted to be like David Beckham, also in terms of a player, not only to have his fame, you know, and uh, and that's very important, like you said, because sometimes you only bring a player that have a name, have a big ego, and uh, David Beckham, you know, doesn't seem to be a person like that. He he actually went, and he also wanted to develop the um, the the US
2: soccer and he performed he yeah. performed on the name me one name me one person or one player yeah. today even today that would make the same impact look Messi yeah. I love Messi okay if he yeah. comes over here David Beckham I, I was there I saw I saw people yeah. come to the stadium that they don't care about soccer. They yeah. never even thought about soccer. Okay, I yeah. saw he, you know, he speaks English obviously, yeah. and he transcends the game. Now, Messi's yeah. one of the greatest player. We can argue him, Cristiano. We can talk. We can talk about them as possibly being the greatest players ever to play the game. But yeah. they don't transcend the game the way that David Beckham did in that moment, and that was that was so important to get so many people that never would have come into the Major League Soccer or the LA Galaxy yeah. tent before they came in, and that yeah. was. That was amazing to see that 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 power. Well, that's what we paid for. We paid for that power. Yeah, yeah, true. That's true, and that's
1: fantastic, and it's it's great that he's still in there and uh, he's also helping. He's an owner help. now. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's an owner. <laughs> so, um, can you tell us a bit more about the GM role in um, in a club in the U.S. Because if mm-hmm. it's different from Europe, because in Europe the things are slightly different in terms of organization. And um, and if it's similar in terms of soccer, the GM position is similar to other sports like baseball, like like Billy Bean, let's say, yeah. so that everybody knows from from the film with Brad Pitt. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> do you think in in soccer in America the the role is quite similar or or not so much?
2: I think that it's hard because every organization and even within leagues do it differently in terms of their org chart, right? So. Yeah. The position that I was in, as I said, was you know, the the number one position, the top position, whatever you want to call it, within the organization, right? Yeah. I had bosses that were my ownership, right? Yeah. Uh, but I was in charge, as I said, of the competitive side and the business side. And in in a lot of clubs, that has been separated out much and much more drastically. Yeah. Uh, what was interesting for me was, as a player, you are, you are insulated, you are isolated, and, and for good reason. What you do on the field is the most important, okay? But what ends up happening is you don't have a connection, and therefore you don't have a respect and an understanding for that other side. And so what I tried to do was make sure that the players understood that while they were going about their business and had their challenges as players, okay, there were men and women that each and every day got up for, by the way, a lot less money, okay, and went in, and work their ass off to sell this team and this brand, okay? Yeah. And I wanted to make sure that they had an understanding and a respect for what was going on. And by the way, I wanted to make sure that the front office had a respect and understanding with what the players were going through. And yes, there needs to be some sort of separation, and that's where you get you know people that are ahead of the competitive side versus the head yeah. of the business side. But they have to be able to work together and there has to be a mutual respect between the two because they need each other, whether they realize it or not, they need each other. And if you want the business side to grow, you have to have an understanding of what's going on from a player perspective. And by the way, if you want the competitive side to grow, you have to understand the, you know, the realities um, and the responsibilities of the business side. And so that was for me, you know so I, I, I gained a, a new appreciation and respect for men and women that are as important as any of us that ever kicked the ball in terms of driving the sport forward and working you know to to sell the team the brand whatever you want to call it you know one thing the other thing that we did that I remain Im- immensely proud of you know if you want a specific detail is we rebranded so yeah. when when David Beckham came, the Galaxy rebranded. And we love a rebrand over here in the United States. We we yeah, love yeah, to rebrand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was I learned so much and I and you know, trying to make something that as many people as possible like is is a challenge. It is a real challenge because no matter yeah. what somebody's not going to not going to like it. And you have a responsibility because you want to make sure that it's a brand that's going to sell that's going to resonate, that is going to be relevant, and that people are going to take notice of. And so yeah. that was a real, real interesting adventure in terms of the rebrand. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, the the day-to-day business, the international aspect of, you know, going internationally, yeah. you know, stadium situations, training faci- facilities, all of that kind of stuff. But that was where my job was. But it's it's a little bit different sometimes when you split those off into the two different things and this person has a direct responsibility and only is responsible for the competitive side and maybe this person over here is only responsible for the business side
1: yeah that's thank you thank you for sharing your you know your idea of of how the things should work i think it touched a very interesting point that that you said that um the organization um everybody since from the people that are you know like uh that are behind the curtains, let's say like that. Um, everybody needs to be on the same page and uh, everybody wants to be, you know, all, want to have success. And uh, you need also to have, like to delegate responsibilities for each department and to work together. Mm-hmm. I'll say that, in my opinion, like fo- a football club is like is like a tree, you know, like um, there are the roots, you know, that there is people that work for the club. And then you have on the top you have the flowers to for the flowers to grow and for the fruits to come the roots needs to bring water uh, up so if it makes sense to you so everybody needs to be aligned you know and then you get the sun on on the flowers and and the tree will be will be you know it's
2: also you know the, the other the other lesson that i learned in, yeah. in in this dynamic now is that a lot of people will say well You know, you were an athlete and so you understand, you know, all the lessons of uh, communication and leadership uh, and responsibility and, uh, you know, all the different things that we talk about. You cannot. Yes, there are some things and lessons that you learn that you can use, but you cannot behave in the same way that you behave as a player. In a front yeah. office, and by the way, if you do, sometimes you'll get fired. Okay,
3: yeah. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> most you of the time, yeah. You, yeah. you
2: you can't do that. And one of, the, if I look back at some of the mistakes I made, I was so young. I was 30, 32, 33 years old at the time. Yeah. And I look back, and I had a, an image of what that person should look like and how they should act. And you can't try to be something that you're not. Yes, you yeah. you have to change, and yes, you have to evolve, and yes, you have to learn. But I tried at times I think to be that person that I thought you needed to be to be the president of a club or a, you know a GM of a club and that doesn't that doesn't work cuz when you're trying to be somebody else you're not being authentic and people can see through that and I'm yeah. like I said I mean look I've changed on the outside in terms of the way that I look obviously and yes I think I've changed on the inside but still you know, the core of who I am is who I am. And if you try to, if you try to discard that, I mean, if it's good, I I like to think that it's good, but if you try to throw away all that in an effort to be something different, because you think that that's how you should act or behave or talk, then I I think you do yourself a disservice. And I, 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 it's something I regret, but I recognized that I was young and I didn't know what I was doing. I was figuring it out as I went along, and so in life you're going to be put in situations. And you know, you, my only advice to you is do the job as yourself. Uh, yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't grow, and it doesn't mean you can't change. But you know, that's 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 my 50-year-old advice to any younger people that are out there.
1: And I think it's a very wise advice. I can tell you, I agree with you 100%. And, uh, yeah, so I, I, I believe, like I was saying, like uh, I was comparing this part with the tree, for example, if the root decides not to bring water to the flowers, nothing will happen, you know? Yep. The tree will fall, the tree will die. So it's the same thing with an organization. So those kinds of things are very important also for the clubs to understand that the different departments, they, they should work together mm-hmm. and not only the egos. And, uh, and for what we can see, especially in Europe, the things don't work so well in terms of organization i don't know if you had a chance to work to work in um, in a club in europe but i think that's one of the the aspects that why i believe and like you said if he, if he, if it was a stock to buy i was buying the stocks because i believe that you are doing that in the right way also because you have experience from other sports you have examples also from other sports mm-hmm. that um that i believe can be very valuable to soccer. So um, do you see for example let's say in terms of um, popularity. Do you see do you see soccer of course is is growing in terms of popularity? Do you see that in the future uh, it can soccer can be so popular like sports like such as baseball, basketball, ice hockey. Do you think that's possible even if it's in a long term?
2: Yes, I think it's absolutely possible and I think it I think it's inevitable. To be quite honest, okay. however, no matter how big or popular it gets, yeah. it's always going to be uniquely American. Okay, and that's yeah. not something yeah. to fear. You know, uh, you yeah. know, some of uh, w- we as American soccer people, okay, especially those of us that have been around, we are notorious for our insecurity and for our inferiority complex. We apologize for what we aren't, and okay. I've stopped doing that. I, 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 we don't have anything to apologize for. Okay, yes we are different in some of the things that we do okay we we don't want to be different just to be different but yeah. no matter what we do okay it is going to be a uniquely american version of the game and that's yeah. that's something i think to be proud of and something that's going to create something that is different but i think yeah. that can be really really uh, good so going forward it's going to get more popular with with without a doubt but it's always going to you know, first off, it's going to always have that competition and that history uh, of the other sports that we have. But yeah. that's also a wealth of knowledge, uh, yeah. and and yeah. and picking and choosing some of the good things and some of the, uh, you know, the, the 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 case scenarios that we have out there and the best practices that we have out there and learning from things that hockey did or things that baseball did. You yeah. know, baseball is this historic game, but yeah. you know, as as baseball has grown as our country has grown, that that generation uh, and the baseball fan has gotten much older, and so the demographics. When you look at, you know, what soccer can bring to the table, that's where a lot of advertisers want to spend a lot of their money, and that's going forward where I think they are going to spend their money. And so you look at baseball in terms of, uh, what did they do wrong, or did they do something wrong, or did yeah. they not anticipate, and all of those different things I think have to be have to be talked about, but you know i've i've been around for decades now and we've talked about soccer being the future the fact is that when that happens it'll probably be after i'm gone okay but it doesn't mean that that it's not going to be wonderful and wherever i wherever i end up wherever i go i will be looking down with pride at this at this new and different and unique version of the world's game and we are playing the world's game and i think that that I'm sorry, I'm going long here, but no, that, no, that that's what makes it something special and unique. When yeah. I, when I was a kid, I would go out on my front uh, in my front lawn on my sidewalk, and I would juggle the ball, and I would think there is a kid on the other side of the world. Okay, a boy and girl on the other side of the world. I have nothing in common with them when it comes to language or culture or upbringing. Yeah. Okay, but I have this this in common. They're kicking a ball doing the exact same thing. And that, to me, was something cool because there's a lot of other sports that I grew up with that that wasn't necessarily the case. And yeah. so that global aspect of it, that shared thread that we have weaving through all of us, that is something that excites me. And I think that there is value to that going forward uh, when, it, when, you're, when you're looking to bring as many people into that soccer world as possible. You know, you, you, you think... Lo- you think think globally but act local. locally you know that's the saying that people yeah. have and yeah. that applies that applies to soccer There, there you are you are playing a game that the world is playing and that international aspect of it i think is incredibly alluring and enticing to people out there
1: that's true thank you thank you for for that and uh, i think let's say that in 20 years time okay and uh, when we will be 70 i'll be 60 we'll be here talking And this is my opinion. I have this this opinion for a long time as I follow football for many years. I think we'll be talking about um, the US soccer, you know, especially, for example, the national team, like the basketball team, the dream team, like uh, in 96 in Atlanta, that was unbeatable. Because I believe that you guys are building an identity and other countries like Brazil, like Argentina, they are destroying an identity. You know, so they are trying to play as Europeans, for example, Brazil. And you could see in 2014, they were trying to play like a more European style.
3: Mm-hmm. And
1: that's not what they are strong at. You know, Argentina, you can, can, can see the same because, you know, we all know that Brazil is, is, you know, you can find talent everywhere. If they play like Brazil, it's almost impossible to beat them.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But
1: I think they are not doing that part. And, and and like you said, you are going to build something, but in your own way, and you are very strong in terms of sports, and you are also bringing things from other sports, you are organizing the things well, and when the others will wake up, they will see that us is is pretty much unbeatable let's see i don't know if it will take 20 years or 30 years but i think that will happen because Ah, you
2: can interesting interesting yeah okay but Nuno, i I have to i have to push back a little bit on this because and it's not that i don't agree that that can happen but here is the biggest challenge that we have okay some of the countries and cultures that you just mentioned yeah there is a general understanding and and more importantly an agreement uh, yeah. that this is who we are. You mentioned identity, okay? Everybody yeah. talks about identity, but yeah, there yeah. is a general understanding and, like I said, an acceptance of this is an identity. This is who we are as a people, and this yeah. is how it manifests on the field, right? Okay. When it comes to my country here in the United States, uh, the thing that makes, I think, my country the greatest country in the world is Correct. our diversity, right? Yeah. But it also makes it more so, and I think any place else, that much more difficult to put together a team of 11 players on the field. Because if I go out on the street and I ask a hundred people what the beautiful game is here in the United States, I'm going to get a hundred different answers. Okay. Yeah. So it's not homogenous. Okay. And as I said, that it's it, there's, there's not this historical acceptance of this is who we are and this is how we are going to play. And so, Trying to get those 11 players on a field with such diversity and, and diversity of thought about what the game is. yeah, that's difficult. That is a challenge. That is a challenge now, and I think that is going to continue to be a challenge going forward. And people talk about, okay, well, it's going to be you know like our country, it's a melting pot. okay. Yeah. but that's difficult because you have you know fundamentally you may have two great players. And this great player may say, in this moment, I need to kick the ball there and in this way. And this great player may say, in this moment, at this situation, I need to kick the ball there and in this way. Nobody is right or nobody is wrong. It's just two different ways of thinking. But you have to get them both on the same page to go forward. And that's not always easy given what we are, the, the size of our country and, as I said, the incredible diversity of thought that we have.
1: Yeah, that's true. I agree with you completely. And uh, But the thing is, is, the same is happening in other countries. For example, in Portugal, let's say 20 years ago, if you were asking like uh, 9 out of 10 kids wanted to be football players, now probably like 2 out of 10, you know? So that's, that's the thing that is happening everywhere. So let's see how the things go. I still keep believing that the way you are building not only the league but, uh, but also, you know, of course, if you have a more competitive league, internal league, yep. you have a better, in principle, you have a better national team. And uh, what is happening, for example, in in, uh, in countries like Portugal is that we are um, bringing many good players. As you can see, our national team is fantastic, but our league is weak, you know, is losing power because the clubs don't have so many good players they are not investing so much and they don't have such a strong um structure like like they used to to have so um, we have here another question from from mario um i to you nono and uh, football legend alexi uh what does alexi think about klinsman time uh, with the national team and was it a mistake that they fired him
2: uh, in your opinion <laughs> if you want to pronounce yourself about it No, it wasn't a mistake. I mean, he wasn't getting the job done. And ultimately Bruce Serena came in and also didn't get the job done. I mean, yeah. ultimately, you know, we, sometimes sometimes you need to take a step back in order to go two steps forward. I I can I can understand and I can respect that. But yeah. From a U.S. men's national team perspective and a soccer perspective, we cannot afford to miss the World Cup. It was a huge failure to not be in 2018 because there are people here in the United States that use it as an example and say that we're not good. We don't know what we're doing. That may or may not be the case. And I would argue that it's not the case, but this is giving them ammunition to say we're not good when it comes to the men's game. Women's game, we're the best in the world. okay? but the men's game. We're not. We're not good. We see. We don't even go to the men's, uh, the men's World Cup. So getting to the World Cup for any coach, regardless of how romantic or visionary they are, is the first priority. And I don't yeah. care ultimately how you ultimately uh, get there. I do respect and appreciate that Jurgen Klinsmann wanted to do some things very, very differently. I think that Jurgen Klinsmann is is a better, um, technical director type of position. Uh, then in a, in a technical position, a technical director type of position than he yeah. is on a day to day X's and O's, uh, uh, type of situation. I think he thinks, I think at times he can be a visionary and I think he thinks yeah. about big things, but you need people that are able to say, we're, we're going to that mountain right there. Not that mountain, not that mountain. We're going to that mountain, but then you also need people to figure out how to get there. And both of the yeah. people are important because the visionary knows exactly which mountain we need to go to. But the other people that that visionary needs are people that are able to get us to that mountain. Yeah. And I think, you know, so Jurgen, I think, is the person that is able to point out what mountain we need to go to or anybody needs to go to, all right? And I yeah. think he did change the way that we think about the game, the way that we think about ourselves and and, and all of that. So I, I think all in all, it was... Positive. I also think it's very difficult for national team coaches to have multiple cycles. Yeah. I think at the end of a World Cup cycle, especially if you go to a World Cup, it's better to kind of change. You know, I mean, we see it. Yogi Lowe is uh, right now is in a situation right now. And there are there certainly are exceptions. But for the most part, I think that it gets old. It gets old with the players. And I don't think the national team is where you have that long-term type of, of success. There are, like I said, there are exceptions. Yeah, of course.
1: Yeah, and you touched a very interesting point. And also also to remind people that Jürgen Klinsmann did a great job when he went back to, when he was in Germany also. When when Germany was going through a hard hard time in mm-hmm. terms of football, they have to organize re- reorganize everything in terms of football. And then Jürgen Klinsmann um at the you know huge contribute for it i'm not saying about this time when he went to Hertha, uh i'm saying on, on the on the first time when he went back and in terms of also oh, no, was, the reboot
2: the reboot was wonderful i mean it, yeah, it, it, he was a huge part of
1: that was, you know and
3: yeah, saying
2: yeah. we need to go to that mountain and we, yeah, need the, we need the federation, we need the Bundesliga, we need everybody to buy in. And ultimately, you know, it it, it changed fundamentally
3: the way that they play and the way that they think about it. It, it changed their identity. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah, like you said, he's a visionary, but he needs people, like you said, also to take, to take it to there
1: and to the destination. And the same in the US. I'm pretty much sure that you guys have been learning a lot with him. But I wanted to ask you also, do you think... I believe that uh, for example the premier league english premier league and also the german bundesliga they've been learning a lot in terms of the not only the marketing the business side of um the sport with with uh, with uh, with america you know with the united mm-hmm. states and i think you you guys also been learning a lot about the sport itself with those countries so there was an exchange and uh, both were winning you know because if you see the premier league in the last i'll say also 15 20 years the the marketing all everything around it changed and they've been learning with you guys you know monday night football i mean (laughs) yeah yeah that's true so they can join both things so and the same thing that you guys are doing so that's why i try all the time because i'm you know i'm a fan of the way that um, that um, that you see the sports itself um, the the fact one fact for me it's very important like you said that is when the league is is, is about to start you never know which team is going to win the title and that's something that is interesting in, in a point of view of a, a supporter you know you always want to have a competitive league and uh even when you go to another sport like if you go to i had a chance to like i said to you to interview some players that played over there one of them still plays that is pedro santos that that plays for Columbus crew and he mm-hmm. was a champion last year is portuguese i also interviewed antonio Simons that uh, was a player from the time of ilsevio the portuguese player that he played in the us in the on the 70s in the 70s and he said amazing things you know about about um, soccer in there and the ideas and the the way that you were seeing the the sports in general and uh, that it's very interesting the way that you build the things and um, the entertainment part of it so so that's something
2: Something. Oh yeah, we can entertain. We we you know we we look at it as entertainment, and the yeah, way yeah, that yeah. you present it, the way that you present it, the, you know, the way you look, all that kind of stuff matters. You know, the other part I- I- in terms of this back and forth and this sharing and this, yeah. you know, as the sport grows, is you know the analytics side of the game, uh, yeah. which is which is so huge. And and as yeah. you know, you know, numbers, especially when it comes to baseball and stuff, yeah. the, the ongoing challenge right now is how do we really use this tool that we have in a game that we know is is so subjective i mean we have a game where you don't have to have the ball the entire game and you can still win and that that doesn't compute necessarily with the other sports and so trying to figure out how to use this as a tool um and and as a benefit going forward when you assess players when you assess teams when you assess tendencies when you you know how how to involve it with scouting and especially when You know, you want to make sure that that money is being spent well, and so you want to have as much information as your disposal as possible. But you want to make sure that it applies to the things that you are doing. That sharing process is going on right now, and you know, you look at you know what's happened at different different clubs over in Europe with the money ball. You mentioned Billy Bean and all that, and does it work or doesn't it work, or how do we make? And look, the answer is. We're still not there yet. We still haven't quite figured out how to harness this. We know that there is a power there. We just don't know quite how to use it on a consistent basis, and then I guess in the in the best or, mo- or proper way yet. And so somebody out there, there are going to be some smart people going forward that do find that formula and unlock yeah. that un- unlock that secret that that you know that how analytics. Uh, really, really works in soccer because we know that it's the beautiful game is a beautiful game because it's also very complex and frustrating yeah. and different than other sports.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, thank you, thank you for sharing. That's very interesting that you say that because uh, I'm very, you know, I, I like to read, I like to, of course, investigate, I like to also, like you said, to keep my to be myself and uh, and uh, and one thing that that sometimes I mention is like. Uh, it was a boom when that came the film especially the film i also have the book moneyball but uh, but the film was something you know and people were trying to copy that to football to soccer mm-hmm. and it's not possible because baseball is much more linear you know the the analytics the the numbers that you can check uh, it's it's not so much unpredictable like like soccer soccer the decision making is much higher you you need to make decisions every second you know it makes so is it's is a matter for you to know which which numbers that you need to check you know which ones are important which ones are a good value you know so that's like you said that's something that i'm i'm working also on it because i believe that that's very important but not not all the numbers are so much so important like people think they are you know some numbers are just to confirm some things sure. and some others are to find some things that you couldn't see by your own eye so that's that's the you know and this the, beauty-
2: the skill is is not just getting the numbers it's interpreting those numbers yeah,
1: you know, yeah that's- exactly interpreting that's yeah. that's the thing you know that's the beautiful part of it and i believe that uh, of course that that will improve but uh, it's not only about copying a system that worked in a sport it's just to take some some good examples and to see if you can adapt to the to the to the right sport you know to, to a different sport you know it's uh it's to take a bit from each one and if you take the best if you know how to take the best from from each one and adapt to, to to actually to to your sport it's like when you are reading a book you don't get everything on a book you read several books hundreds of books and if you take a line from this one another page from this one and and then you build your own ideas and you make the difference so so that's it so we are we are almost finishing okay um unfortunately we could stay here <laughs> all day talking and um do you think do you see first of all do you see in the near future or or medium term future um US winning a world cup
2: we've won m- multiple world cups
3: already well, yeah in terms of uh, the um, the senior the senior uh, squad yeah we've won multiple senior world cups in terms of soccer? In, we've won multiple senior World Cups in soccer. But not in, in terms of senior senior squad? Soccer. Yeah. Multiple.
2: Okay. Four. Four? Yeah. Okay. All right, no, no. Look, this, <laughs> this is the game that people play now because we have the greatest women's national team in the world, right? So this is the yeah. game that people play. I, I understand, understand what you're saying, okay? Yeah, man, uh, yeah. Look, he, he, here's the deal. Um sometimes when people in the United States say, we're going to win the next World Cup, a lot of people in the soccer community go, no, don't do that. And they cringe and they say, you can't do that. I love, I love that attitude. The other day, Chris Richards, um, who is one of the young players that's gone over to Europe, yeah. talked about, the responsibility that he feels now as part of this new generation to first off get us back to the World Cup, yeah, but also to win a World Cup. And he's even talking about 2026 and what that is in the future. I love that attitude. Okay, that's that's America for me. Yeah. Okay, saying okay. things and believing things, saying and believing are two different things, but saying and believing that you can do things. That people have said can't be done. That's that's how <laughs> lots of our of our successes have, have come. Um, I look at the the generation. You know, in 2002, we were a handball away, or we were maybe VAR away from yeah. going to the semifinals of a World Cup. So anything can happen, especially with the amount of talent that uh, that we have right now. And I don't think it's bad for us to talk about winning a World Cup. Mm-hmm. We can win a World Cup in 2022. The soccer gods you know, look down and shine down upon us and all the stars align. And, you know, we get a, a red card here or we get an injury here or we get a goal that goes off somebody's nose or somebody's ear there. Yeah. All those things can happen given the talent that uh, that we have. We can also bomb out of the World Cup right now. Yeah. So I, am I going to put my money, all of my money on the U.S. winning a World Cup? No, I'll put all of your money on U.S. winning, <laughs> winning a Mets World Cup. But, the, but my, my point is that you know, we are at a point right now where we want to be able to consistently compete with the best yeah. in the world. Okay. Just qualifying for a World Cup, I know we didn't qualify last night, but just qualifying for a World Cup, it's not a great accomplishment. Let's be honest, coming out of CONCACAF, we yeah. want to be able to say that we are in the top 10 consistently. And that when we are playing against the Portugals and the Frances and the Englands and the, uh, you know, the Germany's out there, that it's it's a it's a fun game because there's not a huge huge uh, disparity between the two. We're not there yet, you know. When that happens, it's still a surprise to people that we are able to do that. I want to take out the surprise and replace it with an expectation that no matter who we are playing against, no matter what their history, no matter how good they are or bad they are, that we as American soccer fans believe that we can do that. I believe that we can win a men's World Cup. I believe that we can win a men's World Cup in 2022 and 2026. How about that?
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, it's all about the mentality. You know, and you guys, like like you said, even in other other sports, like talk again, and uh, you have that mentality. You know, and uh, when you go to the Olympics, for example, your athletes, you think you are going to win. You know, and uh, and generally, you you are going to win, and you build that also that mentality in soccer. So those youth generations that came after yours also they all have that um, that attitude that they can you come from a great country you know a big country and uh, that is possible of course it's possible and uh, and like you said of course you need you need a bit of luck even yep. portugal to win uh, the euro they needed
3: luck you also have greek roots
1: and yeah greek, they needed a, they
3: needed a greek is what they needed
1: <laughs> yeah yeah they, yeah exactly so greece also won the european the european cup in um the European Championship in uh, 2004 uh, unfortunately but uh, but they won and uh, and yeah they, they needed luck and uh, and the right generation and the, and, the, and start to believe. So thank, thank you thank you so much, Alexi, for sharing your ideas, your experience, your knowledge. Uh, it's been a real pleasure and um, thank you thank you all also for the ones that've been watching. don't forget that you can share with your friends so they can also learn. Uh, it's not every day that you have the chance to listen uh, who really knows about football, and not only inside the pitch, but also outside. And uh, thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed, Alexi.
2: No, and, thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you to Soccer Hub. And, and thank you, Nuno. I, I, it was a real pleasure speaking to you. you you're you a beautiful man uh, and you're uh-huh. an interesting man. And I, I love the way that you think about the game. And, and uh, it was fun talking to you. And look, I don't have all the answers. You don't have it. Nobody does. But yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we yeah. love this game. We love this game yeah. and we want it to grow. I want it to grow, obviously, around the world and, and in particular in the area that I'm from. But, you know, we want the game to continue to grow. And, and ultimately... You know, having these types of discussions and 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 debates, whether we agree or disagree, doesn't matter. It's it's that's the beauty of the game. And so I I really really appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, and I wish you all the luck in the future with uh, with the show and everything that you're doing.
1: Thank you very much, and the doors are open always open for you anytime you want to keep sharing. You know, the doors are always open for you, Alexi. Thank, Thank you, you so very much. much. Thank you so much, and we will be in touch. Okay, take care. Bye. <laughs>